Welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business. And on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. Well, first of all, I want to thank yourself and Andy for allowing myself and Renee to be guests on your podcast. It's an honor. Absolutely. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. So I became interested in group homes slash personal care homes probably about three years ago and had just kind of sat and sat and didn't never really pulled the trigger. I was probably pretty much just attending, you know, local Houston, Texas real estate meetings, as well as assisted living meetings, things like that. And I just could never, I was motivated, but I guess I just wasn't motivated enough to pull the trigger. And then finally, you know, I met Renee at a summit for homeless veterans. And so from that point, we just, you know, hooked up, linked up. She became my mentor. She kind of guided me through the process of where to start in terms of opening up a home. And so at that point, it just kind of took off. So I felt like, you know, having her as a mentor really gave me some motivation and allowed me to take off versus trying to figure things out on my own. Hey, Tara, if I may ask a quick question, what was the VA homeless meetup that you guys met at? So every year the VA has what's called a homeless veteran summit where multiple and various professionals get together and talk about different services for veterans. And it's mainly social workers as well as organizations that help veterans get off the street. So it it may be an organization that helps veterans with housing, with shelter, with benefits, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And they also help with like the vets that might be homeless that don't know that they can even get a monthly check from the VA and insurance benefits and things like that. They help them uh, by assigning them to case managers that get them started. Right. Was that in Houston or where did y'all meet? Yes, it was at the WorkSource in Houston off of Link. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think a lot of our members and even the folks that are listening right now, they don't realize that you can, you can find these, these homeless summits and go over to the local VA clinic and just start talking to people exactly. and network your way in there. Exactly. It, I think you kind of, I forget who made the point, Tara or, or Renee, but you kind of touched on it. Even the veterans themselves don't even know the benefits that are out there for them. Right. So it just seems, seems like there's a big, I just call it marketing. You know, they, they have a problem with marketing and letting people know about the services that are out there. There's ton of homeless veterans is one in particular, you know, almost every street corner has a homeless vet and no one, no one knows how many funds and services are out there. So that's part of what we do is, is locate those. So 
Renee, why don't you give us a background? So Tara met you at this summit. What were you doing before that? And you know, what brought you into this business in the first place? Hello, Brandon and Andy again. And I'm like Tara said, we're honored to be on the podcast. I was brought into this business basically by the residents of the nursing home that I used to work at. I was a business office manager and when they could not pay or their kids messed up their funds or they didn't want to give up their homes and their cars that they worked for their whole lives, we worked so we can leave something behind for our families. And when I found out that the state will take your money along with your property that you can't leave to your children, your grandchildren or anything, and you end up with nothing just because you need care. It was ridiculous to me. And I just wanted to do something about it. So I looked into starting homes. So when people didn't qualify for Medicaid, but really couldn't live on their own, but Medicaid say, oh, you're not sick enough to go into the nursing home, they wouldn't be left to live on their own until they made a fall that was bad enough to break her hip or something. Cause that's what they do. They, it's like a setup for failure type of situation. You're Renee, telling somebody, I'm sorry, I can hear you. And I apologize for interrupting, but you are hitting so many important points. Um, oh, thank you. And I really hope our listeners are paying attention because everything that you're talking about is exactly what we see on a daily basis where you, there's literally no gap between like either you're in a nursing home or you're homeless. Exactly. And I just had one particular resident that was like, I'm not going to put my family out on the street. They're staying in that home. That's their family home. That's what my husband and I worked for. And I understood her pain and I just felt like crap. Uh, by not being able to do anything about it. And I was like, if you don't have 5000 a month to share a room with somebody, basically, like you said, you're homeless. So that was going to be my next question, just to kind of paint the picture and really elaborate on point you brought up and, and Andy pointed out, mm -hmm. just to kind of show like what the position is, just to kind of rewind and highlight that. So they were looking at paying... $5,000 per month in a shared, like a roommate situation. Right, absolutely. And it was probably absolutely. a larger, larger facility, right? Right. Right. So either 5,000 per month or homelessness. Exactly. And let's say you can have somebody that's roommating with you. Perfect example. A couple of my residents. One was the lawyer. The woman went to work all her life. Her husband was a doctor. He passed away. She ended up in a room in the same exact care as somebody that had been on welfare their whole life and never worked and got a small monthly check. No better service, nothing. Even though her money was more, she didn't get a private room, you know, with a private bathroom or none of that. They put them both in the same room. The one that had the lower check, Medicaid paid for her, remained in part. For her stay and it's like really that doesn't even make sense to me this woman worked hard at least give her a corner office or something in here and it's just no difference you get the same care 
They may be able to get around to showering you three times a week if the staff doesn't call in for work and things like that. And just by me being there, seeing that on a daily basis made me want to do something about it. So you saw there was a problem that needed to be solved. Um, exactly. And that's where kind of where, where you saw your opportunity. Exactly. And just so that it's not always coming from Brandon and I, do you mind touching a little bit more, Renee, on like even the cheapest of the cheap? What do you think in your opinion? And I have my own opinion, but I'd like to hear from you. You're actually in the industry. What do you feel like the lowest cost nursing homes are? What are they going to charge on a monthly basis like in Texas? I know you threw out 5000 Just so right. that our average subscriber kind of gets it. And why um, we offer is so valuable, you know, with the group homes. Right. I have not ran across any nursing facility that was less than four thousand a month. I haven't. They have to keep the lights on and they have to pay for their staff and everything. And to me, with the personal care homes, you get more quality care, better food choices. You know, it's more fresh, healthier, not packaged because they got to feed hundreds of people. It's a smaller set and it's cleaner, definitely. That's why you don't see the big COVID situation in the personal care homes. But you always hear about it in the nursing facilities. Yep. And Andy, I remember on our YouTube channel, there's a conversation with you and the woman with the uh, community residential care program. Yeah, And just a real kind of simple, relatable kind of feedback that I remember from her is just the, the people prefer to live in a more personal, kind of smaller environment, like yes. a, a residential property with just a couple other people, rather than in a big kind of cold, like medical facility. Yeah, just, that's been my experience. And, and the other thing that I've noticed is we don't really have much in the way of turnover either compared to like a larger assisted living type facility. So they're more profitable and it's better for the end client. So huge problem. You know, we, we all see it. Renee, you noticed that just from being in the industry, figured there had to be a way to solve the problem. So what did you do from there? I went home and I got on my husband's nerves. <laughs> I, I, I told him, Hey, what would you think about moving? Because we was in a two-story home at the time. What would you think about moving our master bedroom to the master upstairs and starting a business downstairs? He said, and where are they going to live? <laughs> so I said, here. I said, I just can't do it anymore. Like, you know, either you're going to talk about it or you're going to be part of the solution. And that's just where I was at. And what did he say to that when he realized you weren't talking about just an office downstairs? He said no. And then, um, <laughs> he thought I was crazy. He said, no, yeah. ma'am. We can help him in another way, blah, blah, blah. And I'm here, so I got my way. <laughs> yeah, you, you found it. You found yeah. it. <laughs> and we'll get into the program that I was it the uh, medical foster program, the one that you started out with. Yes. Okay, cool. But we'll get into that in a few. 
so that was kind of your your background and and then you do you know the the real estate meetup groups you guys ended right. up meeting tara you know what brought you to us in the first place or to looking into group homes well so like i said i have been looking at the concept at least a good probably maybe one year by the time i found group home riches Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, this is exactly what I've been looking for. You know, I've been searching, looking. So in addition to going to the local meetings, you know, I hopped online, found y'all, purchased the gold member course. And still, you know, I took that information, read through it, um, still kind of sat on it for a little bit. And after meeting Renee and taking what I learned from the, the gold course, information i kind of put those two together and said okay well this makes sense so at that point i you know went ahead found a property put a couple residents in it and again from my mentorship with renee as well as the information from from the gold course i was able to you know successfully put a couple of residents in the home beautiful so it was just me continuing to search to see if, you know, because I knew I still really wanted to do it, but I felt like I needed some more guidance. So when I came across the information that yourself and Andy have put out there for group homeowners, I said, okay, this is perfect. And then so, you know, paired with the mentorship, you know, it really helped me move forward. Yeah. I'm a big fan of just learning in person and learning from somebody. That's kind of how I always I've kind of always had like either a partner or a mentor. So right. I agree with you a hundred percent. I'm the way if I, if I see that somebody can do something and they just show me, that's how I, I'm, I'm kind of a learner like that. <laughs> like right. if somebody, if somebody can do it, then I know I can do it. And if you're working with them, then it's even more powerful. It's, right. It's just invaluable. Really. Yeah. It just, you can't even put a price on it. Really. And so you guys, the law of the grocery store. When I go into the grocery store, if I don't know where something is, I don't drive around aimlessly or walk around aimlessly looking for where the cereal is. I just ask them. <laughs> <laughs> I get their <laughs> That's a great metaphor. <laughs> so Terry, you were kind of walking around the grocery store for a while. <laughs> yes. That, okay. yes, that is a great metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I was walking around the grocery store for a long time. <laughs> and you met, you met Renee at the summit? Yes. Like, hey, it's just aisle 10. Come with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so you, got, you guys met at the summit and then kind of walk us through, you know, what, what happened from there? Is that like, is that right when you started to go look for the home and start looking for your residence after that? Right. That is correct. I kind of ramped it up and said, okay, like Renee said earlier, either I'm going to continue to want it and not do it, or I'm going to actually do it. So I finally found the fire to light to go ahead and get started. So once I got the home and did a little bit of decorating and stuff myself, as my mentor, she came through, you know, did a walkthrough, made some suggestions, made some recommendations. You know, I was able to get some contacts from her in terms of helping put residents in the home. That's big, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I was able, she also helped me with caregivers as well. So that was very helpful. 
Okay. Brought up a couple, couple great points. About how you have worked with caregivers and what your formula is, so to speak? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And we laugh because caregivers are a very challenging, very challenging part of the <laughs> Very challenging. You know, from what I've learned from Renee, our formula is such that when you find a caregiver and you find a, a decent one, you still need to have several more in the pipeline. You need to have several more in the pipeline just because, you know, things happen in life. Either the caregiver may not be a good fit. They just don't work out for whatever reason. But if you keep them in the pipeline, you'll never be without a caregiver. You know, you'll never be caught, you know, without care for your residents. And can I just add to that? Sometimes your client base changes. You might have a caregiver that's good and excellent with the uh, more independent clients that you have and able to play games with them, talk, you know, take them on walks, blah, blah, blah. And you might get the same caregiver with somebody that's totally care and are bedridden and they're clueless or don't have the experience needed. So you need several different people to be able to fit the personalities of the people that you're bringing into the home. Now, are you got with caregivers, let's just kind of rewind for the, for the beginners out there. So you guys run group homes. You're not providing the care yourselves for your tenants. Right. That's, That's correct. Right. Now are, are they employees of the group home? Yes, they are. Okay. So you guys do actually employ the, the caregivers like through a different company or th- I'm not, not through a different company, but through your company. Yes. Very cool. Andy, do you want to kind of break down what what your strategy is with that? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's got their own way of doing it. We take the approach, a couple of minutes ago, you all were alluding to the fact that uh, dealing with caregivers can be challenging. I think another way of uh, saying that is just dealing with employees in general can can (laughs) oftentimes be be challenging. I, I once heard a guy tell me, he goes, I like buying businesses but I like buying real estate more. And then he went on to say, the reason why I like real estate is because real estate doesn't talk. <laughs> and uh, I, always, I always kind of chuckled at that. But what we have elected to do over the years is really outsource everything. And so we'll typically partner with various home health companies and have them come in and, and basically just take care of all of our clients. Okay. But again, to each his own. I mean, there's a lot, everyone's got their own little formula. And so that's why I was asking how you guys are going about handling it. But I I like the way that you're doing it because it really allows you to probably get very granular as far as your ability to take care of each specific client. Right. Right. That's right. And we also started the process of having a live-in house manager that is there you know, with the clients and on site. And that's been working out for us a lot better because if something happens to one of the other staff, they're running late or, you know, not going to make it to work that day, then the manager is pretty much on salary 
and they step in and take the responsibility for that worker that didn't come in that day. Yeah, that's a great strategy to have. We always recommend having some boots on the ground so you don't right. have you don't have to be living at the property and being there 24/7 and you don't have to be worried about it and like checking into the home at all times. So that's what we do. So Terry, you just started your first property, right? That's correct. And Renee, how many homes are you running? Two at the moment. Okay. So just the the overall structure of of the business, you guys charge for providing the housing, but then you're charging for providing the care as well. And you're you're employing the caregivers. Can you guys kind of touch on what was the process like to just get everything like that set up? You know, what was the licensing process like and and did you have to do anything special to the property or what was the setup like? For my first one, um, I had to go through the process of being certified through the VA in Houston. They came out. I had fire inspections. I had to get a couple ramp for the front and back porch. I had to have a clinician come out, everything in the cabinets, refrigerator, make sure the thermometers was working. They had to go through all of basically my financial records to ensure that we were able to financially provide anything extra that the vets may need or come across. And that whole process, uh, getting the house started and things like that, probably took about two to three months for me. The furniture for the vets was a lot cheaper because they provided all the hospital beds, bedside tables, and any equipment and things that they needed. They just came and had a DME company bring it to the house. So I didn't have to pay for that part. So that was a huge blessing for me when I first started out my medical foster home business. And that that was through the medical foster program through the VA, correct? Yes, that's correct. Very cool. And just to get started with them, you just, you found them through, was it through that summit or did you just kind of do some groundwork to find who you needed to talk to in, in your area? I just did some groundwork and found out who I needed to speak with in the area and called her and set up a meeting with her and she came and toured my home and we went from there. She's actually the one that I told her, hey, we kind of thinking about not renewing our contract. I still want to do it and help the community, but I want to do it on an independent scale because with medical foster program you have to live in the home with the clients and I no right. longer wanted to do that so she told me about the homeless summit um, that was coming up and that's when I kind of branched out and uh, went there and made other connections very cool Tara what was your kind of beginning stages you know that that beginning process like so my home was not, you know, connected with the VA. It was a home where my connections came from the local hospitals, from the social workers, from placement agencies, things of that nature. And the home is not licensed. So in the state of Texas, you can have an unlicensed home up to, I believe, four residents without being licensed. 
So mine is not a licensed home. So I don't, you know, have to go through a fire inspection, things of that nature. So mine is one of those unlicensed homes. So that's more similar to all our model. Mm-hmm. And I'll send you a, a lot more kind of reading info on, you said it was more than four people. Needed. Four. Four is max. I will send you probably a ton of examples of current group homes that have much more than four people in it in your area and the, and the federal, like the federal laws regarding that. Right. Um, And so Brandon, is it that the fair housing? There's the fair housing act. There's the Keating memo and there's just a, there's a ton of cases kind of upholding the federal laws and the guidelines. Okay. However, There's always that back and forth between the local governments and the federal governments. So I'm not sure if there is a battle, if if you're local, you're in Houston, right? That's correct. So I don't know if the city is is actively pursuing that power and, and trying to shut down group homes, but I'll show you all the laws and cases and everything on the books. The current kind of legal issue that I've seen is in Phoenix and they're, they're trying to crack down on sober living properties. That's kind of where the legal gray area is. You have your federal laws, the federal guidelines and the cases upholding that. But then if a neighborhood or if a local government is, is really trying to challenge that, it, you know, you have the case, but is it worth it? That's kind of what people have to look into and ask themselves. But I don't think there's any issues like that in Houston that I'm aware of. No, the thing that I've been running into is, you know, when people are having me to help them with their homes, a lot of the homeowners associations, they'll call or ask, you know, if they're renting a property, if they want to do this type of business, is it okay? And they're getting told no, that they can't run a business out the home and then I have them go back and explain to them what it is because they're thinking it's a corporation and you know it's gonna be a big sign out in the front yard and all this mm-hmm. type of stuff so some of them say oh okay no problem once they explain it and some of them like well no we can't have this over here because of the homeowners association yeah so homeowner the HOAs are kind of they have their bylaws. I mean, in theory, they could just say that, you know, no non-owner occupants are allowed mm-hmm. or your grass can't even be longer than an inch. They have their separate kind of policies. Right. Um, Andy, we operate in Texas. Do you kind of want to touch on that subject? Yeah. Well, first of all, the HOAs, they've got a lot of very onerous restrictions. I mean, they can foreclose on you and take your property in a lot of respects. So it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that have happened. And I think a lot of this stuff has actually been taken all the way up to the Supreme Court with these HOAs. But typically, look, in the nicer areas, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because you really got to deal with the neighbors. If you're in more of a middle income or maybe even a lower income neighborhood, usually it's just a little bit easier to, you know, to operate care homes, assisted livings, group homes, whatever, sober homes, whatever you want to refer to them as. So 
those are really the areas that we like to operate in. Now, one thing that, that we do, and we talk about this a lot on our podcast, is we try to make it not only a cash generating vehicle, but also a wealth generating vehicle. And if you can own the real estate, especially over a long period of time, you, you really can build up a tremendous amount of wealth. But what you'll find is that if you buy in those sort of C areas that are turning into B areas or B areas that are turning into A areas, at the very beginning, when they're C areas, you're not going to have much in the way of issues. But as they get nicer and nicer and the taxes start to go up and you know the people that are moving in are, are higher income folks, you're going to deal with a lot more issues than you used to. So it's kind of a catch-22 and, and you lose out on the cash flow, but you gain on the wealth. And you know, you might have to, to sell those homes and move over into, into a different area afterwards. But at the end of the day, I think it's a, quite frankly, it's still a, a good problem to have. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I agree. So Terry, you have four residents? Correct. And I saw in the, in the Facebook group, you posted it's mainly just the senior population, correct? Correct. Correct. Most of the referral sources or sources that work with the senior population mainly. So Very it's, cool. it's mainly older adults. They're in, in huge need of it. And we kind of broke down why in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So do you employ any nurses or, or anything like that? How do you handle if, if they need a caregiver on hand? Uh, the very similar to Renee's model, you know, keeping those caregivers in the pipeline and, um, also considering more of a, you know, work a few days, 24 hour, like a, for example, a three days on and a three day off schedule and rotate that between two workers. Okay. So you're, mm -hmm. it's similar to her, you're, you're hiring and you're, and you're managing them uh, Correct. as employees. Correct. Awesome. All right. So you've been with us for, for two years. How long have mm -hmm. you had, how you just started the, the group home recently, right? How long has it been up and running for? So that one, um, last year, late last year, like August, September flash of uh, 2019. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. So it's been quite a few months. Months. Um, yeah. And what were you, what were you doing, you know, before this, are you working on this full time or what's, what's that like? Currently I am. My background is in the medical field. So have a little bit of experience, not direct care, but it is in the medical field, but not, you know, necessarily directly taking care of, of residents. My background is pharmacy. All right. And what are your kind of goals with the group homes? Is it just kind of like a side passive income thing for you? Or do you plan on kind of scaling it up and getting it out of the pharmacy business at, at some point? Well, I think I do want to scale. I would like to scale. I'm sort of kind of taking my time with it, making sure that this one works well, that I'm able, you know, that it's managed well and getting it to where I, I want to see it, you know, really flourish, you know, make sure that I've got everything in place, you know, make sure the model works and then build from there. And then yes, hopefully, I can make pharmacy more of a side gig. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Start doing that part-time, right? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. So 
if all goes well, how many homes do you think you would have to have for you to start thinking about that? So when I first started and was kind of looking at the numbers, I said, I think if I had three to four really good, solid homes, I think I would be good. Anywhere between three and four good, solid homes. Now, I know there's several different models out there. I know that you just mentioned, you know, sober living and, you know, I'm sure there's so many other different populations out there that, you know, individuals are looking for kind of a group home setting. But right now my focus has just been on the elderly, but with time, I just don't know who I may come across that I can help. So I'm saying three to four, but, you know, maybe possibly even more. Yeah. You know, and moving into a different population as well. And a lot yeah. of it really just boils down to who you are dealing with because we've got lower end homes. When I say lower, lower priced homes, and we've got higher priced homes. And some of the folks that are a little bit on the elderly side, depending on the overall level of care that they need, we charge them a little bit more. Are you kind of in that 500 to $700 range or are you a lot more than that? So the range I work with is more because these particular residents tend to have more needs. So the range is more like between a thousand and twenty five hundred. Nice. And most is that all typically private pay, or are a lot of those folks going to be Medicare, Medicaid, SSI, SSDI, or you know they've got the VA benefits, and then is that how you typically take your your payments? Usually it's private pay or, you know, they have some sort of, like you said, maybe disability, SSI, you know, things of that nature, but it's mainly private pay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but anywhere between the range of 1000 to 2500 because their needs typically are greater. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there really is, there's such a huge demand for this, this type of housing. And when mm-hmm. I say this type of housing, it really runs the gamut from elderly. I mean, we're talking, there's a huge need for people that are aging out of foster care. I mean, you know, they're, they're 18, 19 years old, but they're no longer in foster care. They need a place to live. So yeah, there's just a huge need for this type of housing. Right, exactly. So that's why I say, I just don't know, you know, what I may run across in the future what population I can help house. Absolutely. And, and the more you get into it and the more you start networking with these case managers and social workers, your, your, your phone will start exploding with phone calls. And one real interesting tidbit that uh, I think I sent an email out on it the other day, but it, there is obviously such a large demand for this style of housing because mm-hmm in the new CDC documents that are essentially halting and eliminating evictions until the end of the year, right. it excludes this type of housing. So it just goes to show that the government knows that this type of housing is needed. And that is why they are not halting evictions in this area because they don't want to scare people away from getting in the, into this industry. Right. And then just the need is just too great. Right. It's just too great. Yeah. So Brandon, we, what else do you have to ask? Or, or ask? Yeah, I was just going to kind of touch on some things. We talked about just the situation that, that Tara and Renee's clients are in. You know, they're looking at spending at least 
$4,000 in a big kind of facility that Renee touched on. You know, they weren't getting great care. It's not a very family-friendly environment, it didn't sound like, right? So that's what they were looking at for, on average, around $5,000. Or they can live with someone that gives more of a personal touch, like Tara, for, you know, less than half of that. So (laughs) Tara just mentioned she charges, she said, on the high end, it was fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred, which compared to us is the high end, right? Right. But compared to the other, you know, the large majority of the opportunities out there for them, it's like just a bargain discount, right? And Tara, how long? So you have the one home; it's stabilized, right? You have as many tenants as you want in there, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And how? You're working full-time still? No, it's part-time. Oh, that's what I was getting at. You're, mm-hmm. You work full-time or you have another job. So how, how much time are you spending on the group home business? So the group home business, I would say maybe about 20 hours a week. About 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at getting, you know, three or four of them would put you in the position to not retire from work completely, but maybe retire from the full-time job. And at that point, you'd probably bring on some help as well, right? Correct. Yeah. and That's, that's correct. That's the goal. That's kind of what we find. I would say that's the average. Everybody's financial goals and quality of living varies a little bit, but I would say people within the three to five home range, that's where they can kind of start to think about Retiring from the full-time job and either focusing on this full-time to scale or bring on, you know, what, what Andy did in the beginning was just bring on an operational manager. So, and Andy, how long do you spend on the, on the group homes on average? Not much. I mean, it's typically the end of the month, just looking over the books. So, you know, it's, I would say anywhere from 20 minutes to maybe an hour, you know, sometimes the bookkeepers classify stuff incorrectly. And so I'll go in and, you know, and just reclass stuff. But for all intents and purposes, I mean, I'm looking over the books at the end of the month, making sure that all the bank accounts are reconciled, credit cards are paid off, figure out how much money I made. And, and that's, that's really the extent of it. So obviously at the very beginning, it was a lot of work, but you know, I've been doing it now for close to 20 years. So really at this point, it's, it's very cookie cutter. So Tara, that's just to kind of show you the possibilities. <laughs> I was just about to say, when I grow up, that's what I, I want to be like Andy when I grow up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and R- Renee, the same, same for you. You know, you're, it sounds like you're kind of veering towards that model or closer to it, at least, you know, not to where you're, you don't have to live at your place of business. Right. And I've separated my living situation from the group home at this point but unlike Andy I feel like I'm working 200 hours a week (laughs) at the very beginning I mean the reality is you got to put in a lot of energy and a lot of effort at the very beginning yes to get climb up the mountain you got to push the ball up the hill push the ball up the hill push the ball up the hill and then once you're at the top of the hill hopefully it's it's you know like a snowy hill and you just start pushing it down and that thing is just going to gather steam and it's going to start going on its own. Right. Uh, 
but I don't want to pretend like it's, you know, like there's never little things that don't happen. Like I got a text this morning from the new guy that's running uh, the sober homes. He said, Hey, the gas is out at one of the properties and I'm going, Oh gosh. And uh, anyway, so we have everything set up on auto draft, but of course this is a new property that I added, I don't know, a month or two ago and I forgot to put it on auto draft, (laughs) you know, so there's, there are little things. And of course, Texas gas wasn't open until seven o'clock. So I had to call back a couple of times and, you know, so that right there still took 20 or 30 minutes, but on any given month, on the average month, it it really is 20 minutes to an hour worth of work. So today was a little bit more, but again, that's, that's really the extent of it. But to everybody out there, you do need to understand that your first group home is going to take you 40 hours a week, bare minimum, you've got to push it, push it, push it, push it, especially the marketing. And then once the marketing gets going, once you've got case managers that know who you are and social workers that know who you are, your phone's going to start ringing. You'll be able to fill up the beds and then your job will be finding more real estate. That really is the name of the game. And once you have three of them, maybe you you say, okay, this is enough for me. And you retire on that. If you want to do six of them, you do that. If you want to do 12 of them, you do that. But for all intents and purposes, once you quit growing, if you have good systems in place, you're not going to have to work that much more than, you know, a few hours a month. Right. What I like about it is just, just the possibilities. You know, you can kind of model it almost like the real estate model that Andy does, where he's outsourcing a lot of things, and it's a little bit more passive. Or, you know, if, if you're starting out and maybe you work in, in the medical field and you're just looking to do something that's similar to what you're doing now, but be more of an entrepreneur and probably, you know, earn a little bit more or at least have the power to earn more, you can go with more of the personal touch like Renee did and what Tara is kind of doing, like the in-between model. <laughs> um, and then Tara, you touched on it, Renee this will probably benefit you as well. But we recommend, you know, most people out there that are even listening to this or interested in this business, they're wanting to help people out in general and start a business that does that and accomplishes that. Most people that I talk to, you know, they don't get into the business only because they want to help out, you know, disabled vets or they only want to help out seniors, which that's fine, but just most people don't. So, Terry, you kind of talked about, you know, you're wondering like what other populations you could serve or maybe where the demand is. And that's why we recommend for anybody that does want to cast a wide net and, you know, really just take in it, people who are in need, cast a wide net with your marketing, reach out to as many organizations as you can and kind of see where that demand is. You know, if you were looking for your next property, Tara, and you had a call from a nonprofit that help works transitioning homeless veterans, you know, you would consider working with homeless veterans, right? Correct. Because yeah. the need is there. Yeah. So that's why we recommend, you know, cast a wide net, reach out to people, network, and then kind of see where the demand is. And that's where you'll find where the opportunities are as well. Correct. I agree. So Tara, you're looking, we're looking to get maybe three or four homes here. Renee, what's the future looking like for you? I want to go beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. very ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys talked about, you kind of 
were in like doing real estate meetup groups and things like that. So you guys have some interest in real estate investing as well, right? Yes, absolutely. And Andy kind of touched on that. You know, this is a way I call it the McDonald's model. It's a way for you to have an operating business, you know, cash flowing out of the property. And then at the same time, you know, you're benefiting from the equity and all the tax advantages of home ownership. Right. And have either of you ever done rental properties? Tara has. Okay. Yes. I've done one rental property. How did that go? Actually, I still have it and it's going well. I have a good tenant. Beautiful. So I haven't had any issues. Knock on wood. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And just to kind of show the power of the group home model compared to Mm -hmm. that, which rentals can be great. It just depends on what what your goals are. Tara, you know, how many rental properties do you think you would need to have to think about retiring? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot. It's tough to think about, right? Yes. It's, 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 that's, yeah. It's you would tough. have to get enough properties to where just the odds are there's no way that all of those people are going to be good tenants. Correct. That's where it, that's, that's where why the, I say, you know, knock on wood, this is a good tenant that I have. And that's not always going to be the case. Yeah. Especially if you scale it to where you are bringing in, you know, income that you can live off of. There's just... You know, it's it, it can be a hassle. <laughs> but we, we, exactly. <laughs> we kind of beat that over over the head on our podcasts and in our content. So I won't I'll spare everybody today. <laughs> 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 well, I know we kind of had to cut it a little bit short today, but we actually man, these these can go forever. I feel like we could talk forever, but I know Andy has to take off in a little bit. So we kind of talked about the future. Do you guys have any parting words or any other topics you wanted to cover before we part ways? I just want to say to anybody looking into it, it's a very, very rewarding industry. You can, of course, as they heard from everybody on this call, they can make streams of income for them and their families and help so many other people out while doing it. It's not many things that you can do business-wise that give you that satisfaction. I agree. And for anybody who's listening, I say, if you are thinking about it, do it. Don't, you know, sit and think about doing it. Go ahead and do it and find a mentor if you can. I think that's what really made the difference for me is finding someone who's in the business and who's actually an owner or an operator. Now, Terry, you said you were looking into it, you were interested in it, but what really lit the fire, I bet you the fire was lit, but the only thing that was holding you back was really just just kind of knowing the steps that, that you needed to take to get things going, right? That is correct, yes. So for anybody out there who is listening, that's what we're here for. <laughs> so. I recommend for, for anything, if you are trying to learn something, get somebody local that you can work with personally like Tara did for any business, even if it's not group homes. If you're looking to do real estate, if you're looking to do anything, you're going to learn so much more from just being in the flesh with somebody. 
but we're here via email. If you have any questions holding you back, any topics that you're unsure of, unclear of, reach out to us via email. You know, even if you're not a Gold Course member, we're happy to help out as much as we can. And then, you know, if you are ready to get started, definitely start with the Gold Course. And we also offer one-on-one coaching, website design. We try to do as much as we can to help people out without doing what what Renee did. You know, there's only so much time me and Andy have, so we cannot work with everybody in the flesh. But (laughs) we do really try to put as much information as we can in that gold course. You know, everything that we use, if anything, I think there's there might be too much info in there. Probably get lost in it. But well, thank you so much guys for coming on. If anybody wants to reach out to you guys, do you want to kind of drop where they can find you? Do you guys have websites, social media, or anything like that that you want to let them know about? You can reach me on Facebook. Tara Bolden is my name. And if you want to email me, you can email me at business. Let me spell it out for you. B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-C-O. N N E C one, the number one at gmail.com. And for Renee, my name is Renee Jones. You can reach me on Facebook as well and email me. That's probably the quickest way at R E N E E dot J 95 at AOL.com. Awesome. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on and, and telling your story and, Tara, once we get to those three or four homes, we need to come on it for a podcast number two. Will do. I look forward to it. Thank All you right. for having us. Yes. All right, guys. Thank, Thank you, so, you much. so much. Thank you, Andy. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.